the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're glad to have you join us on this Friday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Online at 1160hope.com. You can text us at 68683. Uh, type in CG followed by your comment. And you can always find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, somehow that helps us, we always say. We're excited that it does. We believe that it does. We, uh, we do. That voice you hear is Ian Simpkins. It's Mr. Me. Simpkins, how's Hi. your day going? Good to have you here. Oh, thanks, man. Good, <laughs> good to have you here. Like, I'm surprised. <laughs> oh, you showed up today, oh, look Simpkins. Here today. Today. <laughs> nice of you to join us. Showing up is half the battle. G.I. <laughs> Joe. Was that old Yogi Bear thing, right? It's 50% uh, mental, 90% yeah. physical or something. <laughs> uh, he said 50% of baseball is half mental. Oh, no, 90% of baseball is half mental. I think it's the quote. Right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. Well, we're glad that you joined us today. And speaking uh, of mental, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just gonna let it sit there because all these people are like, what? Ooh, what a tease. What? Speaking of mental, by the way, uh, just a thank you out there to uh, yes. to Common Goodland. I've never talked about <laughs> Common Goodland. Uh, we uh, made the goal and exceeded the goal with uh, food for the poor, and so we are uh, eat, uh, we are really grateful to yeah. those of you who gave. Uh, you gave little amounts, gave a lot. Uh, we're just super grateful. Like that is literally going to make a difference in the lives of kids and families in Haiti. And you can still give, by the way, just because we hit our goal doesn't mean you can't still be a part of this with us. Right. So 1160hope.com click on uh, saving starving families. We would love for you to join us in literally saving lives for the people in Haiti. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So we're, we're proud of you guys and grateful for it. Uh, well, a story floating around. Oh, no pun intended. A story Whoa, floating, floating around. around. Again, no one else knows what we're talking no. about. <laughs> and I, I wish that I said now that you all know where we're about to talk about. I wish I could say I thought of that. That was that was complete coincidence. Those are the best kinds of puns. Wow. Though. I just want to sit and let that sit there for a second. <laughs> people are going nuts right now. What are we're they about talking to talk about? about a boat, people? We are about <laughs> to talk about a boat. Uh, you may have seen this story. We're getting it out of the Wall Street Journal. White House wanted the USS John McCain, quote, out of during Trump Japan visit. Uh, and so the story goes like this. The White House wanted the U.S. Navy to move out of sight the warship USS John S. McCain ahead of President Trump's visit, according to an email reviewed by the Wall Street Journal. The ship was named after the father and grandfather of the late senator, uh, a war hero who became a frequent target of Mr. Trump's ire. And the senator's name was added to the ship in 2018. And so basically it goes like this. They've uncovered an email that said President Trump is going to Japan. Right. One of the boats out there, one of the naval vessels is 
uh, named after John McCain, his father, but also his name. And uh, the word is now later in a tweet, President Trump said, I was not informed about anything having to do with the Navy ship John McCain during my recent visit to Japan. Nevertheless, the First Lady and I loved being with the great military men and women. What a spectacular job they do. Uh, And so even if he didn't know, there's something about the culture there that says, why did they think that this was necessary in the first place? Then there was some conspiracy theorists. There was a a picture of a tarp hanging over it. But then that came out. The picture was from a couple days before. Right. So there's all of this intrigue. And it led or it was one of the first things on the Today Show as I was watching this morning. Um, And so, the the, yeah, I I guess I want to hear just your reaction to it. But then I think this speaks to some of the you and I often talk about leadership on this and integrity of character and leadership uh, across the board. But with our leaders and our and um, um, and what does this tell us about it? So, yeah, this is tricky because neither of us. uh, I don't think the role of pastor is similar to the role of president Mm -hmm. by almost any standard. And we have talked kind of anecdotally in other segments about. Like some of how it feels as a pastor when you see someone from your church posting online, that's just like the opposite of what you just taught on yep, or yep. or like really miss the point about what you taught on. We're like, oh, man, love Pastor Brian's talk about blah, blah, blah. And you're like, that's not what I said. What I said. <laughs> and it's and it doesn't it isn't there added gravity to it, too, if it's someone that's been like a long time part of your community. Yeah, like sometimes yeah. there's added grace like, ah, oh, they're new. They didn't really get what I'm. But when someone else is like, oh, man, they planted the church with me. Like, what are they? Why? they saying that so i do have a lot of understanding for a like the size of the team that is responsible for carrying these things out um to just simply say cut and dry black and white trump created this culture where somebody felt empowered to say we need to have this out of sight however i don't think the leader is off the hook either whether you're president or pastor or ceo that you know, one of the things that we say at community a lot is the speed of the leader, speed of the team, mm. um, whether you like it or not, how that person manages their time, the things that they celebrate, uh, all of that stuff has a, a sort of trickle down effect. And yeah. um, as pastors in particular, one of the things that I remember at uh, at Poplar Creek when I was pastoring there, I felt really challenged. And I, I, I told it to our staff and our leadership team before I had communicated to the rest of the church. Um, but what I told them was as leaders, I'd like for us to stop saying our people won't and instead start saying we haven't led them to. I was hearing a lot of conversation like, oh, man, our people just won't sing. They won't sing loudly. Our people won't serve on a a Saturday. Our people just don't really give. Like, what if instead of saying our people won't, we started saying we haven't led them to yet to take that ownership back on us to say we've been charged with the task of leading, which is also serving the flock. And if we're noticing these these things in our culture, that's in a lot of ways on us. Now that doesn't mean that we're responsible for every activity of every person in our church Correct. or our cabinet or board or whatever. Um, but there, yeah, there is some correlation, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. And I like that speed of leader, speed of the team. I like that's better. Uh, my old pastor used to say speed of the leader, speed of the follower. And uh, hmm. there is something to that where I, I'll take president Trump at his word here and say, he didn't know that this directive, but there was something in the culture there that said, uh, keep this boat away we from better deal with this, People, right? Right. Like this is going to be a problem. <laughs> right. And this happens on the other side. Like this also gets to something you and I have talked about often that we believe, I believe the character and the integrity of our leaders, even at the highest level, really matters because character kind of trickles down. And right. so if people are seeing this pettiness, right, or um, there was a big brouhaha this week because President Trump talked about Joe Biden while overseas. And I, I, did you even know it was like a 
it was like a well-known thing that like political disputes are supposed to end when you leave the country. Like it's kind of a, Oh yeah. Right. I, I never heard that till this weekend, but um, th- there is this, uh, uh, yeah, it's just a reminder that that the top down really does influence an organization or in this case, a country hmm. and both sides, I think, do this really poorly. And so we end up with like, this feels really like middle schoolish. Keep, hmm. keep the boat away from him. He's going to be mad. Right. And it happens on the other side too. like sure. do this. And then I, I my worry as a father and as an American and this is that it seeps down. And then, you know, my kids are like, well. If our leaders do this, then we do this. And I think you do a good job of helping us realize that happens in churches, happens in businesses, happens in politics. Mm -hmm. And it's a big deal. Yeah, there's a a Maxwell quote that's always um, resonated with me. He said something like, you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. And so often preachers in particular, like I've been telling them this, like, yeah, but you lead like this. No amount of sermonizing or, you know, transfer that to your own context. So often we think, oh, I taught them this. I'm teaching this, and it's the same in parenting, right? Like, yeah, you, me, yeah. you can teach them what you know, but you'll reproduce who you are, and whether that's Trump or a church or a board or whatever, like that. There's there's a lot of um, that's humbling when you actually yes. look objectively at the culture of the thing that you're leading. Yep. Like, oh, that's not what I told them. Like, yeah, but that's how you're leading them, though, yeah, and that that's worth putting a finger on. I remember. T- I think I told you this story before of a pastor. Uh, I remember hearing speak, and he talked about. Uh, he went to his wife one day and was really mad and said, why is my church full of angry people? Hmm. And she just stared at him. And he said, in that moment, he realized <laughs> they were just following his lead. on wow. something. He was an angry person. He wow. preached angry. He acted angry. He was always angry. And, uh, he was reproducing it. It's so not what you say, but it's how you live. That's so. kind of like Nathan with King David, right? He tells yeah. him this parable and David's outraged. Nathan's like, you're the guy. <laughs> you're you. outraged at this character. You're the character. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, coming up next, uh, a player from the Chicago Bears, Trey Burton, uh, wrote an article uh, about a topic uh, that we don't talk a lot about. And so mm. we're interested in discussing that. That's what's next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're excited to have you join us today. As we talked about before the break, uh, interesting article uh, written uh, by one of the tight ends of the Chicago Bears. And so uh, a well-known guy by the name of Trey Burton. Uh, we're going to get to that in just a second. But before we do, uh, Greg Laurie, Phil Wickham, Lecrae for King and Country. You could win the chance to see them all live this August. Just enter to win now at 1160hope.com slash contest. We're giving away a trip for two to SoCal Harvest 2019 in Anaheim, including airfare, hotel, and a $700 Visa gift card. A free copy of Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn's book, Jesus Revolution, is yours just for entering. So register now at 1160hope.com slash contest. That is 1160hope.com slash contest. Well, Trey Burton uh, penned an article, and here's the title, The Fight for Purity. So this is a, this is a National Football League um, a player. So macho guy, the way you think of him. He's also uh, a believer, and his, uh, it starts like this. His article starts like this. Our culture has become so sexualized, so saturated with negative images on billboards, television, movies, and commercials, and we've become desensitized to it too easily. And he then talks about his own struggle with pornography uh, and and sexual sin and gets into confession, really kind of opening himself up. This yeah. is really, I mean, this is a public figure 
opening himself up uh, to, to judgment here, to ridicule, to whatever. Like, uh, uh, he, he can't kind of write this and then kind of move back into the shadows. He, he is out there every, every week. And so uh, thought we would use this as a jumping off point for just this concept of pornography. Uh, you and I, pastors, old youth pastors, uh, I think we've probably come face to face with the dangers of pornography of people that we know mm-hmm. uh, and the, just the wreckage it leaves. And and the I'm always struck by the flip side of this because I was literally listening to a radio station on my way up here today, not 1160, uh, but it was a sports station and they were actually joking about pornography and like it's like this oh, really? macho kind of guy thing you joke about. Mm. And I had this article on my mind and I was like, man, what a if those guys read this article, they would be like, what the heck? You really? know, like this. Uh, and so that's where I want to start is just his boldness for talking about this in a public sphere. Uh, but then also uh, just some of our experiences as pastors seeing the destructiveness of pornography, even though our culture doesn't talk about it that way. Yeah, and this uh, sort of shows some of my, like, archaic caveman brain, but, like, there is something (laughs) about a big, strong dude, like, confessing this, you know, like, anytime, I I always find it really compelling anytime anyone's actually fought that battle, talking about, like, how problematic it is, you know, it's not just theoretically from someone who's like, I've never struggled with this, but I think you need to stop, right? Like, to hear it firsthand is always more powerful for me, like, hey, uh, people often make light of this. It's not a laughing matter. It's it's almost like further legitimized for some reason when it's like a you know a man's man for some yes. reason that it, like in our culture and I'm not I you know for agreed. better or for worse there's something about like oh he's a oh this is a football player saying hey um, this isn't something to joke about it's not something to blow up it's like a really significant issue and and not only just like pointing some finger out there at you know the quote unquote sexualized culture he's like mm-hmm. let me tell you a little bit about my own battle which I find so compelling and like i want to applaud him for Absolutely. i don't it doesn't sound like there was any <laughs> coercion to write this like i i really love to know what was the impetus behind even saying like yeah i should tell my story like i should share this part yeah. of, you know I, he could have just as easily kept this to himself to be honest like what what would have what would have changed but i think the, the the amount of people that are encouraged by someone else one saying hey i've struggled with this um gives everyone else reading and listening saying, oh, man, I'm not alone. I think that is danger number one with porn is that it implies that you need to you know pull it deeper and deeper into the shadows. Yes. And which is like the genius of the enemy is to like, you know, make us continue to live in our shame rather than dragging out in the light where we can be healed, which is what he talks about confession. Right. And he quotes from James like saying, man, there's something about speaking this out loud with trusted people that can walk alongside me. Yeah. You know, it's not just about like, oh, I'm going to. I'm going to, I'm going to grit it and I'm going to beat this addiction. It's like, no, I need, I need people in my life. And I think, um, that's vulnerability at two levels, really admitting yes. an addiction and then admitting I need other people to overcome it. I just, I just find that really compelling. Yeah. Listen to these two paragraphs. He said, I would often try to tell myself that since I didn't smoke or drink, I was okay. What was the harm in pornography? Yeah. But I was deceiving myself to think that you're not hurting anyone by looking at porn as a lie. You're destroying yourself and in turn hurting those around you. And this is like, this is one of the top hidden sins, uh, not just for men, but particularly for men uh, in the church. And and it's like, uh, it is something that we don't speak of. He talks about, uh, having been overseas and not have seen the same sexual images. And then he came back home and was blown away. 
Uh, but then something you touched on uh, about the power of community. He says, whenever I struggled with porn, I would feel embarrassed. I didn't mm. want to be completely open and honest with my friends or pastors. I wanted to run and hide thinking I could get over it on my own. But the ways I've been able to come th- overcome this battle is by telling a few good friends who will talk and pray with me about this. The Bible talks about bringing your sins to light and confessing them to other Christians. Listen to this. This has been a game changer That's so good. for me, he says. So taking it to that, uh, going beyond the pornography sin, but to all sin, uh, you as particularly, you and I both, but but you always talk really well about the power of community yeah. and that you need other people. And that's what he's saying right here. And then, like you said, he quotes James 5, 16, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Confess your sins to one another. Could you speak a little bit more, uh, Ian, about the power of, to overcome sin when you involve other people, other people's prayers, other people's accountability, other people just in your battle. Yeah. And I think he, I think he just hits the nail on the head with a sentence after uh, quoting James five sixteen. He says, at the end of the day, it's not me who's going to get over this by myself. God yeah. is continually revealing himself to me and freeing me from the sin. And I think the freeing piece mm. is so important because so often, um, unfortunately, I think we talk about, Christ followers often talk about this past life thing that I met Jesus. That's no longer an issue. Now I'm a pastor and I'm a missionary and I'm a saint, whatever yep. this idea that he's no, it's a continue. He's freeing me from the sin, which means sometimes I still struggle. Sometimes I still fall flat on my face. Yep. This is why even like even a community, we say helping people find their way back to God. It's this helping language, yeah, this absolutely. journey language. And it's, it's what makes, I think the vision and mission of that so compelling is like, Hey, we're, we're all walking this road together and some of us maybe have been walking it longer but uh i find that when we talk like that like everyone's guard lowers a little bit like oh man god is still in the process of freeing me from this and i think everyone listening or reading is thinking oh i'm in the process of being free from and there's still demons that i fight and things i struggle with and i think the more that we can realize that like oh that's all of us it makes community life so much more powerful because it isn't about like the professional you know, doling out advice to the sinner. It's yep. like, Nope, let me, we're walking together. Yeah. And I think that, that realization that we're not alone is one of the most freeing things in the world. And it actually allows us to talk boldly and without shame about the things that we struggle with. That's so good. I, if you're out there and I guess we wanted to bring this article and this topic up a, to say pornography is a big deal. And we've seen it with, with men in our, in our churches and, and people we know, like pornography is a big deal and it's a hidden sin. But if, if you're struggling with it, I, you, you got to get some help. You got to deal with it. Totally. You got to talk to someone. And then that goes to the second one, whether pornography is your thing or it's another sin or whatever else. Uh, the power to overcome sin is not primarily in you just being stronger. Yes. Right. It's not in you being stronger. God uses other believers, other brothers and sisters to give us strength, to challenge us, to encourage us, to cheer us on. Uh, and, and if you're continuing to battle in isolation, uh, I don't want to be dark about it, but you're going to continue to battle. (laughs) You're going to, that's, you're not going to win that battle. And Mm. so, uh, surround yourself with other people, uh, who can help you. So coming up next, uh, we thought this headline was fascinating in the USA today. Single dad tells employees to stop apologizing for quote, having lives in a viral (laughs) post. That's what we're going to discuss next on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. When you hear this music, don't you want to just kind of sway? feel like I should be talking slower. Give it a shot. Let's see what happens. I am swaying right now. No, but the talk is slow. Like how, let, talk how this music makes you feel. I don't know. No. <laughs> it's gone now. <laughs> because the music's gone? It's just in my head right Can now, we- though, too. <laughs> Still swaying if in my head. you could see him, like, turn looking upwards to the sky. Uh, what if we just spoke to whatever music we came into? Like, like in the style of said music? Yeah, like sometimes it's angry, sometimes it's... <laughs> Sometimes it's fast. Sometimes That's a it's a pretty good representation of the show overall, don't you think? <laughs> Angry and fast. <laughs> uh, well, here you go. USA Today uh, posted a, a just a fascinating. Uh, it's it's always fascinating to see what kind of posts go viral, right? And so uh, there is a the president of an organization called or a business called Wonderman Chicago. W N D E R M A N. Uh, the president is a man by the name of Ian Sohn, S-O-H-N. I like that name. Sohn? <laughs> you got me. You got me that one from. He is a single dad of two and the president of this company. And he wrote a post on LinkedIn the other day. And, I, you know, like when you write a post like this, my guess is you're not expecting it to go viral. You're not expecting it to go crazy. Uh, but it goes like this. It says the Chicago company president created an empowering list telling his employees to stop apologizing for having lives outside of work. Hmm. A Chicago boss spelled it out clearly for employees. He doesn't need to know if they're late to work for a dentist appointment, leave early for a child soccer game, working from home for the silence or any other work life balance moves. Imagine that it says he said, I deeply resent how we've infantilized infantilized infant. Oh. Lies. Yeah, one of those. The workplace. How we feel we have to apologize for having lives. That we don't trust adults to make the right decision. Uh, he told the USA Today that the gist of the list that he made is that he trusts employees, of which the company has 17,000 of them worldwide, to manage their personal professional lives. Like any modern business, he wrote, there's an additional need to respect other people's lives and environment you work in, and everyone is accountable for getting their job done. And then he made a list that people were just really resonating with. I never need to know that you'll be back online after dinner. I never need to know that you're working from home because you need silence. I don't need to know why you chose to watch season one of Arrested Development on your flight to L.A. instead of answering emails. I don't need to know if you're late because of a dentist appointment or you're leaving early for a kid's soccer game. I don't need to know why you can't travel on Sunday. I don't need to know that you want to have dinner with me when I'm in your town on Tuesday night or don't want to have dinner with me. And he goes on and on and it's just gone viral. These people, it has 15,000 positive responses on LinkedIn. Wow. uh, And that uh, he was perplexed. He says that one of the primary reactions coming from readers was to call him quote brave. And he says he thinks that it's most likely a commentary on other companies, workplaces. So when you read this, like I want to cheer him on, but there there are some dangers to this as a president of a company to write this. Uh, and so, what were your thoughts as you read what this guy who has seventeen thousand employees underneath him, kind of going out there and writing this? I love it. Yeah, I really do. What do you love about it? I think exactly what he was saying about actually trusting the people that you hire. Um, and I have a guess on what you think some of the dangers might be. And I think there are some easy ways to resolve those. Let's get to those in a second. But what else do you like about it? I, I, th- I think the, the you get the best out of people when you begin with a posture of trust. I think uh, you, you may get um, 
you may even get efficiency when you lead out of fear, but you'll get the best of people when you yeah. lead out of understanding and you lead out of trust. And I think, again, some people, to be honest, aren't trustworthy, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. I think to assume that the vast majority of people are trustworthy is the right posture. And I think um, some of the ways that you can guard against it is by having like empirical, measurable metrics and targets. And so if the person's like, oh, I, uh, you know, the, I think often the need to make excuses for all these things is the uh, the possible appearance of looking lazy, which is a culture thing. Like mm-hmm. somebody is setting the tone in a culture that like, oh, if I'm not here for this, this and this, I'm going to look lazy. That could be self-imposed. But so often, I think probably more often it's the organization that is uh, superimposing that. And I remember you know, you and I were both youth pastors. One of the biggest riffs I had early on was a senior pastor that had expectations for how many hours I should be spending in the office. Interesting. And I was saying youth ministry does not happen in an office. But you're paying me to be out of the office. Right. It's, yeah. I mean, it's at bowling alleys and it's yep. at soccer games and it's at recitals and it's in families' homes. Like that's where ministry, if you want me here 30 hours a week, that I'm going to miss out on a lot of the life of student ministry. Yeah, yeah. And they say that's why so many youth pastors quit because there's this disconnect. They don't understand what it actually takes to do the job. And I think for a president to say, hey, we're trusting that we hired well, which is also trusting your hiring process, good, which good. is a big deal. Yeah. That we weeded out the people that weren't a good cultural fit. And I also trust that you have both the skill set and the integrity to do this job well. Yeah. And we set up other metrics that'll make it really clear yep. if you're not hitting these targets. And then we'll have that conversation. Yep. And so we'd love to hear your reaction. We're going to post this on Facebook. So we'd love for you to respond there like a lot of you do to many of the articles we put up there. Or you can text us at 68683, type in CG, followed by the comment. Do you think this is a good idea? Would you like to work in a place like this? What are the pitfalls to this? Uh, If this is some way that people would like to work, why do more places not uh, function like this? And so. You know, I told you that I had a little devil's advocate, which is always a dangerous thing to say, right? Like the devil doesn't yeah, advocate. don't advocate for the devil. And so Pastor um, Brian, exactly. Uh, but I think you answered it well, because the flip side is, aren't aren't people going to take advantage of this? Yes, yeah, I will they take advantage some of will. this. And you're saying have ways of weeding that out yep. and that you'll sit across from the person that you oversee and say, listen, you, you, you haven't handled the, what we've given you well. So either we're going to take away some of your freedom or we're going to we're going to find someone else to do your job who can handle this well. I think it's two ways, actually. One, like you just said, uh, you've established metrics and goals and deliverables, even a community. We call them key objectives. We all get together. We spend a ton of time. Um, not just like working, I'm praying over the key objectives for our different campuses, for our different departments. We share them with each other to get feedback. It is a beautiful process. It's, it's incredible. And there are ways now that are written down like, Hey, how are you doing at you? This is the objective you gave for yourself Mm. as a ministry leader. How are you doing in that area? And so that's one, you know, the, the the more traditional top down accountability. The other thing that I, I wish more people understood was like the collective energy and morale of a team that's built on trust that if there's a team of 40 people and one dude's like, Oh man, well, what's the company called? Wonderman. Wonderman. Oh dude, they they won't even, won't even follow up on me. The other 39 are like, Hey Carl, like you, this isn't what it's about, man. We, we need you to be on board. I think the collective positivity and trust from the team actually can influence and change an otherwise defunct work ethic. I think that Mm. actually can happen when you see it lived out. You're like, wait a minute. No one else is taking advantage of this in a way that's like exploitative. Maybe, maybe I'm the one at fault for like, yeah. you know, taking advantage of a, a very kind work policy. Yeah. And we've talked about um, uh, that. We this the problem in our culture is overwork right now. Yeah. It's right. overwork. Right. And so 
Uh, why do we think that this is such an outlier? Hmm. Is it because people don't actually trust that the work will get done? Uh, or is it just this isn't how it's always been done? I wonder if this is this seems like it would be an effective model. Is he just ahead of his time? Maybe I think he's ahead of his time a little bit. Um, but I also know that it it is not. I think sometimes maybe we'll talk about this another time. I think there's a big difference between leadership and authority. Mm. Um, I think you can have a position of authority, which maybe even arguably is a position of leadership and not have anyone following you. I think I think you can see an org chart and see somebody at the top and still not have people following and maybe people accomplishing tasks, but people that really get, you know, this is a lot of the Simon Sinek that know your why, right? Mm, like if they're, good. if we miss that, then it, then you, it's easy to begin to see employees just simply as means to ends. And, um, if that's kind of your central ethos, then it would make sense to you to want to like control and keep tabs on everybody all the time. But if you believe in the process, it's good. I don't even think, I don't even think it takes like a really trusting person, to be honest. I think you set up enough, guardrails and processes that say, Hey, um, we believe we actually get the best from each other, mm-hmm. which selfishly makes our organization better. And by me, like kind of continue to hold you under my thumb, my company suffers as a result. So yeah. it actually is doing me harm to like treat you in this way. I don't, I don't know. I think there's a lot to be learned from that. That's this really good. I think you're a leader, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks man. I, appreciate it. I think you're a leader. Well, coming up next each week, we get to talk to somebody from focus on the family. Uh, we're excited to talk to Lisa Anderson coming up next on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're glad that you are joining us today. Uh, And we are excited to be joined uh, by Lisa Anderson. Lisa is the host of uh, what is called The Boundless Show. It is a podcast and also a radio show through Focus on the Family. So, Lisa, thank you for joining us today. Hey, great to be here. Uh, before we jump into our topic for today, why don't you just talk to us a little bit about what the Boundless Show is? We'd love for people to find it and uh, those who are interested in it to subscribe to it and listen to it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's really for um, young adults and those who know and love young adults kind of discussing issues that affect uh, the young adult generation. So everything from faith to career, finances, dating and relationships. We kind of break it all down and kind of help uh, young adults navigate into adulthood really with biblical purpose and joy. So it's a lot of fun to be part of. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Uh, As a reminder, real fast, before we jump in here, focus on the family with Jim Daly. Uh, That can be heard here on AM 1160 WILL at 1130 AM uh, every weekday. So that's focus on the family with Jim Daly. Uh, we were talking a little bit before uh, that something that's been on your show and you've been talking about is all kind of the rage about Game of Thrones. And um, and uh, you had some thoughts on that. So maybe speak a little bit to the phenomenon of Game of Thrones and maybe where you see some of the dangers uh, for Christ followers. Yeah, sure. Well, so really to my, my point of being a show and a, a website for a ministry for young adults, um, it's not surprising that Game of Thrones comes up. Um, in fact, the season finale just happened. Uh, over 19 million viewers tuned in for it, uh, really record setting. And uh, the show actually began as a book series, and it's gone to TV on HBO in particular as a medieval fantasy epic for those who aren't familiar with it. And so you look at it and you just kind of say, oh, is this like some knockoff of Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Whatever. My niece, my niece was like way into it. So I was having this conversation with her about it. Well, then I read this article um, in, a, in a secular magazine with a woman who actually detailed 
the number of times, and the show now has been on, I want to say, eight seasons, uh, the number of times in these seasons that you see instances of everything from massacre, beheadings, rape, incest, uh, sexual violence, and the numbers were staggering. And so... Yet I'm hearing on my social media feeds all these people that are like, oh, my goodness, we're getting together for the Game of Thrones finale, and we're all about Game of Thrones, and here, you know, this and that. And it just made me pause and say, is this really what Christians should be into? And, you know, not to be weird, the last thing we want to do, I mean, here I am, I talk to millennials every every day. I'm not going to get, like, weird and legalistic about it, mm. but it's like one of those things where it's like, this is a great conversation for all of us to yeah. be having around the choices that we're making who's watching us, what's at stake, and just really the importance of keeping our ears and our eyes and our hearts opened as we're consuming entertainment. Mm. One, of, one of the things that's it's been pretty interesting for me because I just became a father about a year and a half ago, and I'm already having flashbacks uh-huh. to things my parents told me about, you know, <laughs> like being careful about certain music or not putting that in your head and thinking like, oh gosh, they were so lame. And now, like thinking back to songs I listened to and, and thinking like, oh, I don't know that I want that in my head now, actually. Like, <laughs> there may have been some wisdom. Yeah. But like at the time, having no real context for... Why are they choosing this thing and not this thing? Why are they really uptight about this this type of issue, but not that type of issue? And we we have a guy on our show pretty regularly now. His name is uh, Dallas Jenkins. He's the director of uh, a show called The Chosen about the life of Jesus, um, which uh, was uh, in large part sponsored by um, a company called VidAngel. And VidAngel is this service that helps you like automatically skip unacceptable scenes on like Netflix or prime video, or you can kind of select what is and isn't acceptable to you. What do you think about services like that for someone that's like, I'm really into game of Thrones. I'm really into the storyline, but I, I'd, I'd rather skip some of this uh, content you're talking about. And I, with a service like this, I can just skip it. Like does, is that a, is that a viable solution in your mind? Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely a solution. And I think that, you know, VidAngel and similar services are really on, you know, on point in the fact that, you know, they're really providing a service. There are tons of folks, I know, Christians who are Game uh, Game of Thrones watchers and other shows that use that uh, service to filter that out. And I, I think that's good. I mean, that's a good step. In fact, when I had the conversation with my niece, she said, don't worry, Aunt Lisa, I watch it through VidAngel. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Um, so that's good, I would say. But I would say it still begs the bigger question of, like, are we so determined to consume this stuff and watch these shows that we have to, like, get around every means of making mm-hmm. it possible for ourselves? And, I mean, again, there are tons of gray lines here. I tell people I have justified watching a lot of dumb stuff in my life. <laughs> okay, so let's, not, right. let's just point the fingers right at myself yeah. here. In fact, there are at least two or three shows off the top of my head that I know I've had to stop watching yep. because of personal conviction uh, eventually. And that's really what I'm using this to the conversation to generate is to is to ask people to say, what does it look like to just pause and take stock of what we are spending our time doing and what we are consuming. And it's not about line drawing. It's not about weirdness or, you know, parsing out the number of, you know, F-bombs or certain things Mm -hmm. that people are saying. It's more about saying, you know, where is my heart in this and where is my priority in this? And, And what kind of, you know, what am I choosing to be about? 
Um, you know, I love, I love how John Piper says, you know, the last thing Christians need to be doing is looking more like the world in these mm-hmm. last days. Um, the last thing we need to be doing is trying, you know, we all want to be around the water cooler and have stuff to say and know what's, you know, what's going on and everything. But yeah. there were really so many other things to be about. And so it's just a, a, a pause and a heart check for us all. I think that's, a, that's a good caution. I wonder, you said uh, through your show, you, you spend almost daily talking to millennials. Uh, how do they respond when you bring this up? Is this like, a, yeah, yeah, you know, I agree with you, or is there some pushback? Does this feel generational? What's kind of some of the uh, response you get? Yeah, it was all of the above. So there were the people that were people that were like, I would never watch that show. Then there are the people who watch it but don't want to admit that they do. And then there were the people that are all defensive about it and yeah. like, you know, even the Bible is full of violence. You know, don't you understand that? And so then we have to kind of parse things out. And I'm just saying, you know, we we actually did a blog post on the show and we wrote it in the way of like a parable and said, you know, there's this theater troupe they're performing in a local park. And uh, the kids are playing in the playground right behind all the parents who are so caught up in this uh, production. And then all of a sudden, all the actors just start taking their clothes off and continue to perform. And this is exactly what is happening on screen in many, many, many explicitly nude scenes in that show. And we're just kind of taking it in like entertainment. So Mm. there's a difference between real-life actors disrobing and performing sexual acts on TV and talking about a biblical account of something that happened like yeah a guy got a tent peg driven through his head that actually <laughs> happened <laughs> right, we're not right. you know we don't need to react it you know we're reenacted it but it's just like it is what it is but um i think it's you know we we've had quite a bit of response from different folks but i think the the overarching response has been either you know i have not thought of it that way or this is really a good reminder to me to just be sensitive to prayer and the Holy Spirit and what God is asking me to do and not do. I appreciate that. And I appreciate, too, that you mentioned at the top, like, I don't want to be legalistic about this, and that's maybe not a, a black and white right answer, wrong answer. And I'm curious, just in the last 30 seconds or so that we have, like, how would you challenge someone to think through whether it's Game of Thrones or the music they're listening to or TV, whatever it is, just here's some questions to ask or maybe a rubric to walk through when deciphering what to take into our brains and what not to take in. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, in most of these, the principles just come out of Scripture. One would be, you know, is this actually um, advancing my own uh, spiritual and emotional health, and is it promoting the cause of Christ? I mean, what is this doing? You know, everything that is true, that is honorable, that is noble, we're supposed to think on those things. Think about that. Um, you know, is it is it something that is causing me to care about the um, the person and the souls of the people who are involved? So, like, if you were your daughter, would you be okay with her being uh, acting out nude on screen? Um, would you be okay if she played that role? Um, you know, just things like wondering, you know, I'm reminded of uh, 1 Corinthians 4 and Paul saying, you know, I'm not in judgment here, but Jesus is the one that judges me. Always go back to the Spirit and be willing mm. to be corrected, be willing to take that in, and you'll be in a good spot. That's great, Lisa. I really appreciate your posture on that. Again, we've been talking to Lisa Anderson, host of The Boundless Show. Uh, you can find that, I'm sure, wherever it is you get your podcast. We'd encourage you to check that out. Uh, again, Focus on the Family with Jim Daly can be held uh, can be heard at 11.30 a.m. every day, every weekday here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks, guys. Have a great day. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. 
Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Happy Friday. We're glad you're joining us today. Uh, you can continue the conversation with us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Online, you can find old shows at 1160hope.com. That's 1160hope.com. You can text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type CG followed by your comment. And as always, you can find the podcast at uh, wherever you find podcasts. That's where you'd find it, right? Yeah. Search The Common Good Radio Show or right. The Common Good. You got it. You nailed well. it. Okay, good. (laughs) Subscribe, (laughs) uh, rate, review, all of that helps us. So uh, we would ask you, if you, especially if you listen to us on podcasts, take the couple minutes it takes to go and subscribe and also to rate and review it. That helps us. Not even a minute, seconds. You could do it in seconds. seconds. Well, I'd like to think they have to think through their nice review, kind of write it out a couple times. I believe that you like to think that. (laughs) (laughs) Really work out the poetry of language. Make it it like just, you know. Brian and Ian are like a cool rain and a part soul. (laughs) It's a poem itself. It is just. (laughs) I prefer a sonnet if it's someone who won't oblige us. Yes. The common good. It's not just the common good. It's the common great. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Are we we, we writing our own reviews right now? Is that what we're doing? (laughs) It's the common awesome. (laughs) Oh, boy. We need therapy. That's funny. Uh, So sometimes just love. The Internet always wins, man. And sometimes you come across funny stories uh, that that uh, just kind of get your mind going. And uh, that's just make you laugh. And so I will admit that this story is from a couple of years ago, but uh, it got me thinking about this concept of mob mentality and just what people will believe and not believe if other people are believing it. Right. I've been doing this a lot today, like giving giving the premise of it without telling us what it actually is. You're being, you're being particularly Teaseful? Teasy? (laughs) I like teasy. Uh, So here's the title. A pair of glasses were left on the floor at a museum and everyone mistook it for art. Love it. Uh, At the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, uh, there was a 17-year-old. So here's here's the back story. He's at the Modern Art Museum. He said, upon first arrival, we were quite impressed with the artwork and the paintings presented in the huge facility. However, some of the, quote, art wasn't very surprising to some of us. In fact, we stumbled upon a stuffed animal on a gray blanket and questioned if this was really impressive to some of the nearby people. So if you've ever been to modern art places, sometimes you look at things and you're like, really? But other times, like, that's impressive. Like, (laughs) it's kind of across the board. Totally. So him and his buddies decided to test this theory out. And to test the theory out, uh, he took off a pair. uh, He took a pair of glasses and set them down on the floor and walked away. And just walked away and they decided, let's see what people do. Uh, And so they came back and they soon saw people began to surround the glasses, maintaining a safe distance from the artwork and several people taking pictures of it. If you Google this, you'll see there's literally one picture they took of a guy who's laying on the ground taking a picture of the glasses. Uh, They then put it on Twitter and it attracted 45,000 retweets. Uh, and it was just funny. And it was there. There's, I'm sure, a lot of lessons. But the first reason I bring it up is funny. And uh, they said they had they tried another one. They put a baseball cap and a bin uh, just right there. And people, again, stood around it trying to interpret what the art meant. And uh, so just really funny. But I do think there's some lessons to be learned here about kind of 
I don't know, mob mentality or, or people believing things because other people are believing it. Uh, that's where you're stopping with that. Is yeah, that what you? I am. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just. Um, I could be stretching. Maybe it. I'm a doofus. I kind of. I love Stop this story. There. Let's let that just. Sit maybe in. I'm a doofus. <laughs> Some of those are like maybe, maybe, <laughs> definitely. Because part of me, part of it feels a little bit like we were talking last week about my boy stopping just to watch the ants. In my, you know, you know, my big adult brain is like, no, they're just ants. But like some of that wonder. Now again, I'm talking about like a child versus you know like possibly snooty art reviewers. But two stories come to mind. One, uh, Penn and Teller used to have a show that I can't mention the title of for FCC reasons. Um, but one of the one of the stunts they pulled What's was um, I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm that's joking. not a fun game at all. <laughs> one of their stunts was uh, they created a fake um, water menu. And they had a fake, uh, like a really fancy restaurant. So there was like 17 different waters you could choose from with these no fancy way. names. And they brought them out in their specialized bottles and they gave this whole pitch for them. But the joke was that all those bottles were filled with the same garden hose in the back. So they had people like taste these different fine waters that were, you know, $8 a glass and then give their feedback. And they're like, yeah, that actually was all just from a garden hose. And they're like, you know, totally got punked. But the other story is but more. People believed it was different. Oh, like, yeah. Even after tasting it, they were like, oh, people would say things like, oh, this one's definitely more glacier than the other one. No. Yeah. And they're dropping seven, eight, nine dollars a glass no. on garden hose water because because it was presented well, because they bought into this high society idea that this water really was. You know what I mean? So it is totally get it. It's not just the power of groupthink or mob mentality. It also is the power of persuasion and all that. But my wife actually. um she she went to art college, art school, oh. and uh, one of the things, one of my favorite stories was she realized kind of halfway through that this wasn't really for. My wife is a brilliantly talented artist in music wow. and art, and she like she's just really incredibly talented. And she got kind of fed up with some of the pretension of it all. Yep. And so for a, a final project of hers, she I think I'm remembering it correctly. She like literally was walking to class and like picked up some garbage along the way to class and like stapled it to the wall. And uh, said, this is my final. Brilliant. And like people could not stop talking about it and like unpacking the different layers of it. And it's a it's a manifesto about this. It's an observation about that. It's an indictment against this. And she's like, no, it's literally garbage. <laughs> I picked it up on the way to class, stapled it to a wall. And they're like, but yes, and everything is technically garbage. And everything. she's like, no, and she got a great grade. Like she got praised, yeah, praised by the professor. And That's her- awesome. <laughs> so it's kind of it's similar to this story, but I don't know. I'm kind of torn because the other part of my brain goes, yeah, someone wants to find wonder in glasses on the floor. Let them, let them. I'm going with nobody actually found wonder. I think everyone looking at it going, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be looking at, but everyone else is looking at it. (laughs) Really? You don't think anybody did? Like even goes on to say, I think uh, some of them imagine the floor glasses to represent the dumbing down of culture or perhaps the viewing of life through a lens, possibly with a nice lowercase title like myopia or real eyes. Like, I, I think that they're, I'm probably being too hopeful with this one. You are. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to, we always love to use the phrase cards on the table, cards on the table. I am not an art guy. And uh, that's the least surprising thing I could have said all day right here. They're going to put that. I know John already is going to put that on Twitter. I'm not an art guy, Brian. Brian Front. <laughs> I'm not an art guy. Don't worry. My quote will be, I might be a doofus. <laughs> but. I think these guys just got punked. This feels like Ashton Kutcher said it should have been jumping out after they did this and be like, really, people? Really? But you're more sensitive. You're, you're, you're giving I, people benefit of the doubt I don't think this is here. a matter of sensitivity. Don't bring that noise, oh, yeah. right? I think I'm more... Noise, I'm, prob- I'm probably more artsy in general, 
But I also think that there is something to be said about, like, yeah, you know, something you find something captivating. Like, for example, if somebody said, oh, I found this movie to be really moving and you found that movie to be stupid. You, you're both entitled to that opinion. But at the end of the day, my conclusion is like, ah, if you found it moving, more power to you. I thought it was a dumb movie yeah. and I thought it was cheesy and predictable. But like, I have a hard time totally dismantling something that somebody else found meaning or purpose. You're in. just such a better person than me because oftentimes, <laughs> oftentimes, That's not true. People who see movies and they like try to look for the hidden meaning and they end up winning the Academy Awards and all this. And I'm just always like, no, that was just a dumb movie. You guys, you're making this up because you think you're supposed to think that that was like something deeper. <laughs> oh, yeah. Them winning an award is totally different. Yeah. I, I think if if somebody like, OK, to bring it back to the story, yeah. if somebody got tens of thousands of dollars for putting glasses on the floor, I'd be furious. Yeah. Or if your I, wife got an A for stapling garbage. I'm not mad about that because, because I, I, my wife is a baller. It yes. was kind of a, oh, it's a huge she move. She was her pulling part. back the curtain. Like, hey, what are we doing? But I also like I have a bunch of friends who are brilliant. My friend Nathan Blankenship, brilliant, brilliant artist, but also like grew up in a small town and has this real honesty. So he has this incredible talent coupled with, I think, a really great dose of just realism to kind of pull back the curtain and say, hey, can we get our noses out of the clouds a little bit and just create great art? Because I think great art still is really, really important, maybe now more than ever. But for me, it's way less about, oh, if the guy guy made a bunch of money with the glasses, I'd be mad. But the fact that other people are being captivated by it in the same way that my boy is captivated by ants or someone's captivated by what I think is a dumb movie, I think, yep, the world could use more wonder. We're always at each other's throats. Who what, am I to go for it? Knock yourself out. What would you have thought as you were walking by if you were there? Somebody the- dropped their glasses. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't live in this high society art world either, though. As much you. as I love art, I'm more I'm definitely more inclined to be the skeptic in that sure. regard. Like that looks like either an accident or someone's punking me. <laughs> six eight six eight three. We would love your feedback on this one. Uh, or uh, Facebook, you can give us some feedback there as well. Well, coming up next, uh, we're gonna talk about a phrase that uh Uh, is used in a lot of churches now, and if I'm going to be honest, is used in my church. Hmm. Uh, And that is this phrase, gospel-centered. Gospel-centered. What does it mean for a church to be gospel-centered? That's what's coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Friday afternoon. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com. And you can find our podcasts uh, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review, and uh, tell all your friends about it. That's what we're, now that's what we're asking. That was really good. All your tell friends. all your friends. <laughs> right now, stop what you're doing. Go tell them. Put it on Facebook. Do it every day. Uh, Before we jump into our conversation, let me uh, tell you about a contest we're doing here uh, at the station. Greg Laurie, Phil Wickham, Lecrae for King and Country. You could win the chance to see them all live this August. Me? You could? Nah, you can't. Oh. Because you work here. Bummer. But people you know can. Okay, all right. People you know can. (laughs) And how would they do it? Just enter to win now at 1160hope.com slash contest. We, not you and I, but the station, we are giving away... (laughs) A trip for, I don't think it's us. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to talk to you. It is us. Yeah, this. <laughs> Sorry, did you not get the memo? Nope, nope. We're giving away a trip for two to SoCal Harvest 2019 in Anaheim, including airfare, hotel, uh, and a $700 Visa gift card. A free copy of Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn's book, Jesus Revolution, is yours just for entering. So register now at 1160hope.com 
slash contest. That is 1160hope.com slash contest. Uh, you can't win if you don't enter. Did, did you ring a bell back there? What was what was that noise? I have my uh, my cord. My cord to my laptop is kind of swinging because it's not long enough. And then I swung my chair and I hit the battery part of oh, it. Oh, the battery part. And it went, boom. So, there's people know. out there right now going, dinner time. Yeah. <laughs> We're all so Pavlonian. It was funny. It did it. And you just looked up like, what? what I, I really did. I'm starting to salivate already. <laughs> Can I say salivate over the air? You can. All right. Good news. It's not a bad word. I mean, it depends. Uh, So here out of the Gospel Coalition, (laughs) right? Gospel Coalition uh, website asks this question. How can you tell if a church is gospel centered? And that's kind of a buzzword these days. It's a phrase that uh, to have a gospel centered or a gospel centric church. Uh, I, I tease this out by saying uh, I we used to put that on our bulletin at our church and not used to as in like we pulled it because we didn't like it. We just changed how our bulletin was. Uh, but our bulletin used to say a gospel centered community. And so on the gospel, uh, the gospel coalition on their website, uh, Yancey Arrington wrote an article. Uh, how can you tell if a church is gospel centered? Uh, and they take he takes the um, the bent that you can tell from the pulpit. You could tell about the pulpit. So why don't you tell us a little bit about this? So I'm going to read straight from the post because there's an illustration uh, that's given that I think is actually super interesting. And you and I were both <laughs> saying off air, I'm not sure where I land on this, which are the most fun segments. They we are. Are. When we just jump in, we're like, ah, let's uh, see where this goes. This might get heretical. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's always a danger. Yeah. Okay. So this, uh, this is what it writes. Um, imagine a king departing his castle to battle, uh, to battle an invading army. If the king loses, he sends his military advisors back to the castle with the bad news. They also inform the citizens of new strategies and techniques. The enemy is approaching. We suggest you put marksmen here, chariots here, and so on. All of this is done in an attempt to equip the people to defeat the enemy themselves. They Mm. feel incredible pressure knowing that victory or defeat rests on their shoulders. But if the king defeats the enemy, he sends his messengers back with the good news, the Mm. the gospel, maybe you could say. They return to the castle square shouting, the king has defeated the enemy. Enjoy the peace and blessings of the victory our Lord has achieved for you. With this joyous declaration, the people would not only experience freedom in their daily lives, but their love and gratitude would also be directed toward their king. So what is a gospel-centered church? In a manner of speaking, a gospel-centered church labors to stress inner messages, ministries, and mission that in Christ's finished work on the cross, God has achieved victory. The king has truly won, Mm. which I think I agree with that definition, the, yeah. the article though goes on to sort of uh, pick at a little bit sermons that um, they emphasize more relevance or what he would kind of call Mister Fix It self help type sermons mm-hmm. and fail to declare the good news, the Evangelion, which actually was a military term. That's yep. why we get gospel of sending out a message ahead of a victory that the king has won. Um, and I and I don't necessarily know that they need to be juxtaposed. To be honest, now there's a part that he's. I think he says it really. Um, brilliantly says the gospel is not just a doorway we walk through into the Christian life, but the very room we live in. And then later says um, it's not that gospel centered churches don't talk about what followers of Jesus should do in various circles of daily life. It's just that they intentionally tie the doing to the being Mm. that is all our doing in the Christian life flows from the definitive done. That was Christ's work on the cross. Mm. I I actually really like that definition that it flows from the definitive done. So it's not that we don't work for God's approval, but we work from it because we already have it in Jesus Christ Mm. that informs the way that we live our lives. And I think that there is a way to, 
to teach through life application stuff and to, you know, quote unquote, be relevant yeah. and still kind of anchored in that. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit confused at the end of the article, actually, why we're pitting what seems to be like stylistic differences rather than theological ones. Yeah. A little bit of it's a gospel coalition. They, they very much talk often yeah. about uh, uh, really against the type of message you're talking about. But um, how do you prep? I know you prep with a team of people. I do. Uh, is this something you think? Is it a, like a lens? Like are people? Is this like a, a, a thought process that you see as you're discussing messages and kind of planning out? Oh, yeah. I mean, we could take the next three segments and talk about our process. I love our process. Awesome. It's not just in the writing, but it's in the brainstorming before that. And it's in the, you know, we create uh, what we call a series map for an entire series before that. But even before that, we have staff people that pitch series and ideas based on just kind of what they're seeing and what they're experiencing and what they, they believe that God is telling them. And in between all of that are these like long leadership meetings where we're just like praying over That's and like awesome. looking at all the different pieces and where it lands in the calendar and how can we kind of best. So there is a lot of emphasis on, um, you know, doing that strategically well, but all throughout it, we're, we're, that's the beauty of, t- you know, taking a whole year at a time and step back and say, man, we, we've emphasized this a lot and we've really missed the boat on this. Maybe Ooh. we need to go back to the drawing board. And I think because it's also done collaboratively, you have old and young men and women, yep. you know, every one of the apes, kind of the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelist, the shepherd, the teacher, they're all weighing in on it, which I think the end result is it helps us you know, stay grounded in these really important yeah. aspects. So this article focuses on preaching, but let's expand it a little bit. Uh, no church is ever perfectly gospel centered, but let's uh, let's put out there the church that's doing a good job at being gospel centered. Right. It's flowing from the pulpit. Four they, Corners Community Church there you go. in Darien, Illinois, if you would like to come <laughs> join us. Uh, what do you think you would come in and see in that church beyond hmm. the pulpit? What What is a church that is doing gospel centeredness? Well, oh, man, what do you think? Let's brainstorm a little bit. What do you think are going to be some fruit of that? Uh, in that community, in that faith community? That's a great question. And Dan, Dan Frio didn't even write that for you. Did he? <laughs> <laughs> um, so inside baseball. So. Okay, so honestly, the first place my brain went is that, um, especially this like do versus done mm-hmm. stuff that they even talk about, um, I think in many ways at the core of that is you'll see a community um, that feels less and less shame admitting the reasons they need grace. Interesting. Right? I think when you experience the power of undeserved mercy and grace, you'll experience, the, you'll experience a lessened amount of shame for admitting the reasons that you need it. And mm. I think not only do we experience that individually, but collectively together, because um, it's one thing to say, the cross, the resurrection, that's yeah. what we're pointing at, but how yeah. do I practically really walk in? Oh, it's not just for me that collectively together that we, we live incarnationally together, which means that I don't lord these things over you yeah. and I don't shame you or shame myself for admitting our own brokenness. Yep. And also sanctification is still a thing and that yeah. we still hold each other accountable to walk this journey together. But I think, yeah, I think you'll see freedom um, to not have to always be on the, the treadmill of trying to be good enough, smart enough, holy that's enough, good. successful enough, that kind of stuff that is sort of insatiable. Yeah, that's really good. I also think you'll see, uh, and a, a community of people that uh, shows grace. So they understand grace, but they show it to right. one another. They right. show forgiveness to one another. Uh, they give each other latitude. Uh, you know, it's, it's an easy phrase to throw around and, and that's part of the problem, center. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. These phrases become easy to put on bulletins and to put on websites. Uh, guilty as charged. Uh, but to, to actually ask, is the gospel being proclaimed regularly on Sunday morning, but is it also being lived out amongst our people to the point that it's clear that they're understanding it. Right. And they're internalizing it. I like your thing about do versus done. 
Uh, I would ask, you know, especially pastors out there, uh, we all want to be gospel centered, but ask yourself, how you doing? <laughs> How's your church doing? Uh, elders, leaders, uh, just churchgoers, ask yourself, how are we doing? Have those conversations within your church, uh, because we do need more churches, our own also included in this, that are increasingly gospel centered. I think that's a, that's a great goal to have. Yeah. And I, I think in first Corinthians two, Paul says, I, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't think that means that you're teaching shouldn't or can't be relevant good. and practical, but anchored first and foremost, not in what we do, but in what's been done in Jesus Christ and that everything else flows from that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, coming up next, uh, a major new study asks this question in Christianity today. How does church affect marital health? Ooh, I'm ready for this one. Are you? How does church affect marital health? That's what we're going to discuss next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. I think that this might be my favorite rejoin music we have now. Really? I do. What about it makes it so great for you? I don't even know. Like, it's just, you know, it's. am I going to sound like 50 or 60 years old if I'm like, it's catchy? I like catchy. Catchy's got stay power. Okay. You said hip with the kids. I might call you on that one. <laughs> it's catchy. It's catchy. So it's I like this one. I I'm, so, I'm so glad you like it. I think I picked this one. Oh, they're going to keep going with it. <laughs> I don't like it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that was really short lived. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, before you've got something to read for us, but before we do, you and I were just, we both just uh, were introduced to car- caramel M&M's. You don't actually say caramel, do you? Caramel? Caramel M&M's? But you, no, just go with what you would naturally say. I would say. actually normally say caramel, but I'm reading it and it just read like caramel. Yeah, that's how so it's I spelled. would normally say caramel, <laughs> but but these are like a revelation. Are we being sponsored by them now? No. Is that kind of, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be. M&M's, if you're listening, you, if you're listening. <laughs> we'll do it just for free. Little known fact, the headquarters for M&M's next to my hometown in New Jersey. Grew up oh, next to many people from my church worked at M&M Mars. That can't be true. 100% true. That's from amazing. From Hackettstown, New Jersey. They might have moved by now, but uh, but anyway, you and I began eating, the, eating these, <laughs> and it was like, it was like, uh, I don't know. I haven't eaten anything that good in a while. This is some hard-hitting radio right now. People are going to go, they're going to go buy some or send them to us. I don't know. Oh, if they sent them to us, where would they send them? I don't know. What's our address? I don't know. <laughs> it Googled uh, AM 1160 WILL and, and just write uh, car- caramel. Sorry, I'm going to say caramel again. M&M's. <laughs> but individual packages or just big ones. Just throw them all in a box. Yeah, we accept. Address them to us and we you will be our favorite listener easily. Yeah, we'll, easily. Put, we'll put you on the air. <laughs> Can I promise that? I probably can't promise our that. show. <laughs> our show. We'll put you a, a whole segment with the the guy or gal that sends us. They can do those. I'll just eat the caramel M and M's while That's they're doing true. the segment. I'm so. fine with that, man. But here the, the, the takeaway is that they're awesome. They I agree. Caramel M and M's. I do agree. It's like the first thing we've agreed on all day today. <laughs> That's true. Caramel M and M's bringing us together. Awesome. <laughs> bringing Ian together since 1983. <laughs> all right. So. Uh, speaking of caramel M&M's, you've ever read for us. <laughs> ah, there's no way I'm getting through this now. All right, Brian, quick question. Have you or have you not been blessed by Through the Bible's five-year verse-by-verse study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee? On occasion. On a, okay. Yes. Well, if you have, like Brian, 
Let the ministry know that they've impacted your life. You can visit 1160hope.com slash letter. Plus, Through the Bible airs weekday mornings at 5 and weekday evenings at 1030 only on AM 1160. Yeah, so you go there and you write a letter to them uh, telling them how the ministry has helped you. So, uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, uh, we'd, we'd encourage you to listen to it, but also give them but the, your feedback. But the Carmel M&Ms come here, though. <laughs> yes. We want those. Write them the letters. <laughs> Send us the Carmel M&Ms. That's our takeaway. That's the whole segment. We're all out of time. They don't want the Carmel M&Ms. We want the Carmel M&Ms. <laughs> Just it's, to make it clear. Is it is it almost over on a Friday? Can you tell? Yeah. No, we are loopy. Oh, man, man. Any big plans for the weekend, though? Of course not. You're still trying to do that garage sale, right? Oh, yeah. With the garage sale, it's not this weekend. <laughs> oh, okay. The amount you've talked about, I thought it was this weekend. Yeah, no, we're just trying. We gave ourselves like a five-week runway to try to get ready for it. I'm, and we're not even close. I'll bet you caramel M&Ms that you, uh, mm-hmm. when, when there's a one week, you still haven't gotten any closer to being done. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Plus, my garage is flooded twice. <laughs> so everything's just soggy. So my wife are like, just throw it away. This is all. This is all. Oh, man, this rain. It's crazy. It's crazy. So we're going to go hard right turn Wait, here. Wait, do you have hard plans? Uh, hard plans. <laughs> <laughs> do I have plans? <laughs> Big plans. <laughs> baseball. It's always all baseball right. and soccer right now. It's baseball and soccer. I'm just hoping it doesn't rain. That's all. Just uh, we'll get that done. So all right. we got a baseball game tonight. Uh, we got a baseball game Saturday. Uh, soccer game Saturday. Games on Sunday. It's it's going to be fun. But now it's fun when you can sit outside and watch your kids play. Yeah, it's a no good time. kidding. It's a good time. Uh, so as pastors, I'm the pastor of Four Corners Community Church. Your pastor at uh, Community Christian Church in Naperville. We do one of the things we deal with often is marriages. So not only are we married, but we deal with people's not marriages. to each other. By the so way, we are so. not. People okay. might wonder. Yeah. Oh, in our in our couple, <laughs> as a couple, we love caramel M and M's, and so. Uh, we, we, we help, uh, we, we officiate weddings. We counsel when people are struggling in marriages, we preach on marriage. Uh, and so with that in mind, Christianity today, uh, came out with an article just this week. Uh, you can find it at Christianity, Christianity today.com. That's easy for me to say. Christianity today.com at Christianity It reads this, a major new study asks, how does church affect marital health? And so what this study has done is uh, and it is at the Institute for Family Studies and the Wheatley Institution is trying to ask, uh, does going to church and being highly religious, if you could see me using air quotes right now, I'm using them. Uh, how what is being highly religious? What effect does that have on marital relationships? So to put it another way, are people who regularly go to church more happily married uh, and have less problems in marriage than those who do not. And so it's an interesting question, especially for those of us as pastors. And I think it raises some interesting points, Uh, but maybe you could tell us just a little bit about some of the findings here. So first it says, while research tells us that husbands and wives who attend church regularly are between 28 and 47% less likely to divorce, less is known about how much an active and shared religious faith matters for overall relationship quality, sexual satisfaction, fidelity, and domestic violence. To find out, we divided uh, the reports into three types of couples, highly religious couples, uh, two to three times a month, uh, less mixed religious couples with fairly minimal religious services, uh, service attendance, and three shared secular 
uh, couples who never attend religious services. And uh, you had mentioned too, kind of off air that part of the difficulty with even some of these statistics, it's a little cart or horse, right? It's hard. Yep. It's hard to tell like, okay, little chicken or the egg, right? Do they, do they have this great relationship because of these services or do they go to these services because they have a great relationship or something kind of in between? Yep. Um, so overall the, the general, the general conclusion is that, yeah, the, the consistent religious attendance, does have some correlation to satisfaction, lower divorce rates, blah, 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 yep. blah. Um, what it doesn't really dive into, though, is like how they actually came to those specific conclusions. I would love to like actually interview or hear from some yeah, of these couples yeah. like as to, as to why they perceive their statistics to be different from you know their counterparts that don't attend services at all. Yeah. I like this quote. It says, as the authors of the uh, report state, the church is still a place where, quote, family-friendly norms and networks reinforce the ties that bind as evidenced by higher relationship quality uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, So what I would say is if you're a married couple out there and you're not a church going couple and you really struggle and your marriage is really struggling, what I would uh, encourage you to do is not go to church so that your marriage can be better. But I think you and I both believe that being a part of a church community uh, promotes a healthy church community promotes marital um strength yeah by you're surrounding yourself hopefully with other people who value marriage uh so i don't think it's the end all like oh you're struggling your marriage go to church and all will be well Mm. nope Uh, we we all know lots of marriages struggling in our churches and other churches but i would say it's a good step to take because you're uh, i think because of the environment i think this speaks more to environment than anything else of her of healthy church settings, at least. And so if you're out there and struggling and you're not a part of a church, I would encourage you to be a part of a church uh, that it can be part of the solution, not because it's a magic bullet, but because of the environment you're putting yourself into. Well, and they I mean, it's a pretty uh, thorough study. Like I, I found this interesting. A, a story emerged for sexual satisfaction. Religious husbands and wives in the U.S. reported the highest levels of being quote strongly satisfied with their sexual relationship. In fact, um, wives in highly religious marriages were about 50% more likely to report being strongly satisfied in their sex lives than their secular and less religious counterparts. I Part of me wonders if there's not other layers to that, like mm-hmm. part of being deeply embedded in these religious circles, you feel more inclined to answer how you should rather than what you uh, actually ought. You know, like I wonder mm-hmm. if there's some correspondence there because, uh, like you said, there's plenty of unhealthy church communities. Right. But I also think... Part of the benefit of being a part of a healthy community together is not just spiritual, but also physiological. There's something to be said, um, even in terms of brain science, when we sing together, we are we bond more closely with the people we're with. When you're learning stuff together, you have you have this shared um, conversation starter. I think there's there can be a lot of byproducts of simply a 60 minute service where you like yes. sang together and learned or disagreed with something that you were taught. And like that, I think, can can jumpstart a lot of the the greater depth that some of this study is finding. Yeah. Now, the one takeaway, there's one more takeaway here, and this is sobering for us as pastors and people in churches. The one of the spots where they didn't find uh, a core, a difference between non-religious and religious was in some of the statistics about abuse and violence. Mm. And that's really troubling. Yeah. Like, no that's kidding. really troubling. Like if that's you out there and you're on the on the receiving end of abuse of, of any kind, go get help. Uh, go get help, whether it be with a counselor or the police and protection protection. And if, if you are one of these, I almost said guys, cause it's usually guys, but men or women who is an abuser and you're kind of cloaked in a church and like, think you're hidden, like 
you, you need to stop. <laughs> you need to stop. And so uh, seek help and seek help. So anyway, we found that that to be interesting. You can read more of it at Christianity Today. To, <laughs> if you're out there, say ChristianityToday.com five times fast. Yeah, that's and you're going to find it too. You can find that at ChristianityToday.com. Well, coming up next, we are going to land this plane <laughs> for the week. Uh, we're going to do what we always do. Find some crazy stories from the Internet. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to the Common Good on AIM 1160. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Oh, not me. That got me. (laughs) That got me. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. And uh, we are now just wired on Carmel Mm M&M's. And so we're ready to go. We Mm -hmm. end every show. Uh, with just crazy stories from the internet, things that our executive producer, Keith Conrad, has found. And so it's our disclaimer that if these make you laugh, you can thank him. If these make you angry, you can blame him. Uh, if this should cause someone to lose their job, it should be his job and not ours. Like, that's just how this works. All right. <laughs> what if somebody loses their job from laughing so hard at the kickers that we do? Still Keith's fault. Oh, all right. Still well, Keith's fault. All right. Kick. Let's do this. <laughs> do you want me to go first? Is you that what you mean first. by that? All right, New Hampshire, man bitten by rabid bat hiding in his iPad. What? I don't. Is the man hiding in the iPad or the bat? <laughs> Headlines are so confusing linguistically. Yes. An elderly man from New Hampshire had to go to the hospital after receiving a bite from a bat, according to a local TV station. The bat hid himself between the inside of his iPad case and the back of his iPad. Roy Severston Severston was relaxing in his living room and using the electronic device when he realized something was trying to get out of the cover. After further inspection, the bat gave him a bite that he said felt like a little bee sting. <laughs> Severston clamped down on the case to make sure that the winged mammal didn't start flying around the house. The bat was still present outside his house the morning after he released him from the confines of his iPad. Authorities advised Roy to go to the hospital to begin treatment for rabies. What are you? I'm Batman. You wonder why I don't believe that story? Why? Because I don't believe an elderly man was using an iPad. Oh, Brian <laughs> from I do. Florida. Oh, dear. What do you think? Most of our audience is elderly men. <laughs> I, either way. No, I just wanted to show honor to our elders. And Woman not. attacks Burger King manager after being denied free fries. I mean, who can blame her? A woman has been arrested after attacking the manager of a Miami Burger King after being denied free fries. According to police, 42-year-old Natasha Ethel Bagley... And another suspect, who is still on the run, <laughs> initially went through the Burger King drive-thru asking for free fries. They just asked for free fries. So it wasn't a promotion or anything? Bagley went inside the restaurant and caused a distraction while the second suspect jumped over the counter. After hearing the commotion, the store manager came out of her office and noticed the second suspect. Police said the manager tried calling law enforcement but was, was stopped. Both Bagley and the suspect began to hit and kick the manager. Lay off me, I'm starving. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorite references. Keith is two for two on this one. At what point are you 42 and you look at your life and you go, I made a wrong turn somewhere. Yeah, I, I am 42 and I ask that question regularly. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. All right, Scotland. Do, the, do the whole thing in the accent. No, I can't. Yes. I can barely do say it. Scotland in the accent. Try it. Just uh, a headline then. Truck spills fresh. No. No. <laughs> Keep going. I can't. Fresh fish through slightly open rear door in Scotland. A surprise traveler on a Scotland. A rear door in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> you always do that about five words too late. <laughs> 
A surprise traveler on a Scotland road captured video of a truck in the process of losing its load of fresh fish from a slightly ajar rear door. The video shows a truck stopped in Peterhead while the driver attempts to stop the flow of fish streaming out through the slightly open door. The filmer speculated the doors weren't properly shut and came open when the truck started to move. The footage shows the driver eventually opened the doors, letting even more oh, fish no. fall to the road before slamming it shut. Hopefully, he managed to close it back, the filmer wrote. Fish head, fish head, do-do-do-do-do-do. That's one where I think the soundbite drove the story. I think it did, too. <laughs> South Carolina police called to home, say they found man bleeding from head, intoxicated oh naked boy. woman after dispute over broken AC turned violent. Uh, do this we one in a Scottish accent. <laughs> <laughs> the man told officers he and his wife had been arguing because the air conditioning unit had gone out and it was getting hot in the house. The man told officers his wife had also been drinking heavily and surprise. tried to drive off with the children and go to a motel before he stopped her. When they got back to the house, the victim told police the woman struck him in the head with a glass candle jar. They're a fantastic couple. I love them. <laughs> uh, I, mean, it's all, I mean, this is one of those... No, I'm not going to weigh in anymore. That's it. This is our last one, right? Yes. North Carolina. Uh, suspected Walmart thief hid in trunk, covered herself in Mountain Dew. A 34-year-old woman suspected of shoplifting from a Walmart in Clayton, North Carolina, was apprehended by police after they found her hiding in the trunk of her car, drenched in Mountain Dew, according to the Johnson County Report and other news outlet. ChristianityToday.com. <laughs> Melinda Reeves of Wilson told the arresting officers that she soaked herself in the sticky green soda pop in an attempt to stay cool oh, in no. the sweltering heat of the trunk. Temperatures were near 90 degrees on May 21st, the day of the incident, according to AccuWeather.com. Reeves was suspected of taking about $20 worth of stuff and shoving it into her purse. Clayton spokesperson Stacy Beard told WNCN. It's so hot. Milk was a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> this whole segment is always such a weird right turn. It really is. From like the real hard-hitting news yeah. that we hit earlier in the show. What does it mean to be gospel-centered? And she drenched herself <laughs> in Mountain Dew. Anchorman reference. It, all, none of those stories made sense today, but that's what made it fun. <laughs> well, we hope you have a great weekend. We're grateful that you joined us today. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.